Welcome. My name is Jubilee, and I am an astrologer. The intention behind this podcast is to explore and honor the threads of meaning and wonder already woven into astrology, to expand my relationship and understanding of the stars by journeying with others as we connect back to our authorship of self and to gather the threads that we wish to contribute to the collective story that humanity is writing with the stars. This is the Mini Myth Astrology Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Mini Myth Astrology Podcast. Today we are stepping into a slightly different format. We are shifting from having two constant and consistent hosts to having one constant host, Jubilee, and a guest host to step in during the astrological season. And for Aquarius, we have the wonder that is Bella returning. You might have heard her in Sagittarius, and now we get to actually see her in the part of herself and the guys that she is actually probably the most connected to and familiar with, her Aquarius. And she has four planets in Aquarius, (laughs) including her sun, her Mercury, her Neptune, and her Uranus. And they are all in the second house of values and resources. So you'll probably hear a lot of themes around the second house today as we tune into the particular way that Bella inhabits and shines Aquarius in the world. And as for me, I am a Aquarius Mercury, and my Aquarius is in the fourth house, which is connected to the way that we nourish and are nourished. It is connected to legacy, as well as sensitivity and also our protectiveness and some of our relationship to boundaries. So fourth house, second house, Aquarius here to talk about how Aquarius is expressed both in constellation, in mythology, and in words. Hi, Bella. Hi, Jubilee. (laughs) I'm so grateful to be back and to be in this shared space with you. Right now, we're just in soft lighting and cozy, cozy community, and I... I'm so excited about talking about Aquarius because it is, especially it being a novice to astrology in general, it's my sun. And so it's the sign that I've identified with because it's a sign that I've been aware that I am for so many years. And so it's really fun to explore these intricacies and see how it's connected to my houses and also learn about Jubilee's placements and see the ways we can understand ourselves better as we connect to astrology. I mean, that's so much of what is the joy of gathering in this way. Mm. I love that. And it is pretty delightful that we share the Aquarius Mercury, right? Because there is a way that communication between the two of us has always been so cosmic and so big, but also so deeply personal at the same time in the way that both of us hold that Aquarian need for authenticity, but also awareness of the whole and the collective. And I don't think I've ever had a conversation with you where I felt 
like I had gone too far off into outer space, which is a feeling I have fairly frequently. (laughs) (laughs) I have that feeling fairly frequently too, Jubilee. And so to be able to catch each other and all of the different threads and the ways that we expand and traverse these different possibilities, these different ideas, these different iterations and identifying patterns and understanding ourselves better is just so nourishing. And it's really fun to see how this is connecting to Aquarius and see how we're bringing together these components of what we've already been aware of. We just haven't had this lens to look at them specifically in this way before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that. And speaking of threads, I thought we'd start with the actual astronomical expression of the constellation of Aquarius. How's that sound? Sounds wonderful. Okay, so Aquarius is Latin for water carrier or cup carrier, and it is one of the oldest identified and continuous constellations. And it is part of one of the three Babylonian star catalogs. And at the time in Babylonia, that far back, it had its associations with both the water bearer and the jar. And it's really interesting, and we'll see this kind of over the context of cultures, is their association with Aquarius was the water bearer and flooding. And we'll see flooding across all of the mythologies, but it was destructive flooding in their context. It was sudden and often destructive change. So Aquarius, even in modern times, is really connected to the ideas of innovation and revolution, of both sudden and intentional change. And so to find it as far back as Babylonia, where like they also had this connection to the way that nature rushes in and radically changes things. So we see that shift and we go into Egypt, where it was also perceived as connected to flooding. The spring floods were associated with Aquarius dipping its jar into the Nile. But the Nile actually was very cyclical in its flooding, very predictable. So the civilization of Egypt was able to spring up around that flooding. And it's very cyclical, predictable flooding. So again, we have this like influx and flow of change but in a context where you could actually time life out around that change. And it was a really beneficial change. Stepping into the last mythology around the constellation, the Greeks associated Aquarius with Prometheus's son, Deucalion, who was also married to Epimetheus's daughter, who was Piru. And the story of the myth is that Zeus, in his anger, decided to flood the world. And Deucalion built a ship and was able to survive the flooding that came afterwards. And it's really interesting that Prometheus, which is forethought, and Epimetheus, which is afterthoughts, children are the ones that survived this flood because Aquarius is often associated with like these very intellectual ability to see the patterns and to work with change. So we have this progressive relationship to flooding. We have this progressive relationship to, and I mean, it doesn't even have to be progressive. It's not linear. And that's one of the things we'll end up talking about is actually the idea And the root of the word innovation is very cyclical. And revolution is also a very cyclical root to its word as well. So throwing 
to you this ball that is woven of many centuries of mythology, just feeling into your body and your sense of Aquarius, what stands out to you? What threads catch your attention? The thing that catches me first and foremost with this rich, layered history is that people have always wanted to put meaning-making around flooding and around natural phenomenons. And they've always wanted to have some connectivity to these seasonal cycles and shifts that expands beyond just the day-to-day and is closer woven into their belief structures and into their faiths. And so as we're looking at these patterns throughout time and we're seeing Aquarius as the water bearer, there is a way in which Aquarius is being positioned as closer to this element of water and closer to this element of change and connected to these rhythms of life-giving but also destruction. As we see the multi-dimensional nature of water as both necessary in life but also deeply destructive, we come to understand that we have both benefits in the way that we're connected, but I think then we ask ourselves in having something that both gives life and destroys, what are we going to focus on? What what are we going to look at when we look at those rhythms? And I think it's really indicating throughout history of the common thought and knowledge and practices of the time, whether there was more focus on the life-giving or the destruction. Mm-hmm. And whether, even even when they're connected, what is it that humans are focused on when they're looking at those cycles? And so we have this opportunity of recognizing that the story being told around a natural disaster or a water event is so shaped by the culture it's being told in. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love so much what you said there. And a huge part of it, I think, is the way that I make sense of the fact that despite the fact that Aquarius is the water bearer, it's actually an air sign, which confuses most beginning astrology <laughs> like students is wait, excuse me, I I was following you up until that water bearer that's somehow connected to air. And I think you really pulled on a piece that helps me make sense of that, which is that it is the context. It is the engaging in the complexity and the pattern seeking and the meaning making, but also the agency to respond to context, the agency to meet those forces that are beyond our control or do not fit into or are coming through and destroying the structure that we tried to create in Capricorn (laughs) and really seeing this zoomed out view of things, this ability to see both what is and what could be and to be in relationship to your context and also hold on to your authenticity and your voice and your storytelling. And I think that's one of the great benefits of the Aquarius energy and also one of its invitations that are a bit more challenging is that holding the individual and the collective simultaneously. How do you tell your story within the context of the narrative? How do you tell your story in relationship to the living, breathing world that is changing and to connection to the forces that are beyond your control and might flow through and completely 
rearrange your meticulously created structure. And really taking some of that like capacity to reshape and reform internally and being an agent for that intentionally as well, not just being subject to it, but participating in it. Like, how are you going to relate to the flood? How are you going to relate to the inevitability of change? And that's kind of the pieces that I put together in understanding how Aquarius's relationship to air comes in. How does that feel? Because I know you really exist in very beautiful and direct connection to the earth and to change. One of the phrases that comes up in communicating with you, I don't think there's a single conversation that there is not a discussion of flow. Like flow is so built into the way that you experience the world and how you relate to that flow in an evolving way. It's so true that flow is connected to everything for me. And I, um, I remember being so confused that I was an air sign because I'm so connected to water. I had an incredible opportunity in a modern dance class. Our professor had us all dance with each element. So dance as fire, dance as air, dance as water, dance as earth. And it was clear there was one guy in the class and everyone could see it. When we danced as air, it looked like he was floating. And there was a girl who like when she danced as fire, everyone was like, oh yeah, she's fire. Hmm. And then when I danced as water, it just fit. My professor said, did everyone see Bella dance as water? And there was that recognition of my connection to that water element, even if I'm technically an air sign. And I think part of my connection to the element of water with the flow that there's always been, it also brings to mind... When I was a kid, I would endlessly like to stack things on top of each other so precariously that I knew that they were going to fall down. I would make fairy house after fairy house. I would spend all of this time out in the woods and I would put the rocks ever so carefully on top of each other with the expectation that they were going to tumble down and then I would find a way to balance them or maneuver them so they they would be more steady the next time I stacked them. So it wasn't a question of, will this stay? It was the play of the different iterations with those same materials. And I think that that, oddly enough, has been the best way for preparing for the work that I do and preparing for what it is to be an Aquarius in times in which we constantly need to recalibrate, especially when we're looking at environmental systems and we're, when we're looking at like larger well-being and we're zooming all the way out to that larger scale of attending to humanity and attending to our earth simultaneously, which is what I've devoted my whole career and what I devote my life to. And I think it also is so dearly important on the individual level. And when we zoom all the way into the details of our day, and when we zoom all the way into the iterations that it takes to navigate what it is to live a human life in our modern modern society. I have so many chills at Tiny Bella constructing towers she knew would tumble in order to have an opportunity to rebuild and experiment and recreate. Like Aquarius is often connected to experimentation. And one of the things that came to mind for me as we were talking is that I 
think the relationship that I witness with you is that you have an intimacy with current. And current can be air currents, current can be water currents, current can be electrical currents. There can even be currents within earth, and there's definitely currents in fire, right? And your relationship to when that current is flowing, right? Like there's a way that you move as current through all of the elements in your chart. And as we're talking about like the complexity of a chart, you do have Jupiter and Mars in Pisces, and they're in the third house, which rules dance. So the fact that when you dance, the current that is water comes through so clearly and just so easily because Jupiter is connected to ease and abundance, and then Mars is connected to aliveness and vitality, and that you can express that via your feet. But I also know you express this via music, which is also third house. Third house is all of the ways that we express our internal world out to the external world. And having heard you sing as well, there's such a distinct way that you play with the flow of sound, but not just the easeful, like, ever flowing, but you stop the current regularly while (laughs) singing. There's like, you like catch it and you hold it for a second and then you let it tumble away in ways that sound like the play of those towers from when you were little. So Mm. I am really just delighted to witness your relationship to current and how it moves through all of the elements. I'm so grateful for the way that we're lingering on this because up until that point in that modern dance class, everyone had come in with years of experience. And I was really grateful that it was graded based on improvement because I, as everyone else was getting very attentive corrections to their movement, the professor would gently let me know that today we were going to focus on rhythm for me, or we were going to focus on these larger building blocks. And so when we had that moment where I stepped into the element of water, I found that something that had been so like at my growth edge and really challenging in a different iteration was smooth and obvious. It's that same way with writing for me. Words on the page versus singing and finding my voice through songwriting are entirely different dimensions. And so it brings us back to this wonderful concept of sometimes it isn't always like what the form of expression is. Like sometimes it isn't always like the interjection of water, it's the interpretation and what you do once the water's been interjected, or it's what you do with those resources once they're available and how we hold them as individuals. And I think this is so deeply important because it gives opportunity for empowerment and a space to encourage ourselves to find the sweet spot. I would encourage everyone to find an iteration of meditation that works for them. And I don't mean that you need to be entirely silent and like sitting on your bottom and trying to construct this like quiet mind and make thoughts pass like clouds. Like the easiest form of meditation for me is Tai Chi and moving meditation. And their meditation can be staring at something in nature. It can be a guided meditation. It can, it can come in any format. Like you can make washing dishes meditative. You can make any of it 
different with the intention that you bring to it. And so I think then there's this playfulness of not only what we're engaging with, but how we're engaging with it and how we're framing it for ourselves and what our intention going into it is. Right. And like finding those places of ease. I think you talk a lot about where is there resistance and where is there ease and seeking those places ultimately of ease. And I, I talk to you pretty frequently about my sense that you have very far to travel and how important it is for you to find those way through the terrain and the landscape and that ease. And on the other hand, where my Aquarius lives in the fourth house is much more about deep intimacy. Fourth house is home, fourth house is family, fourth house is legacy. And my sense of meeting ease and resistance is curiosity. And I will often sit and stay with the resistance until it becomes ease. (laughs) And Bella will sometimes just look at me baffled, like, but we've got places to go and be and we need to follow the ease so that we can get that far away. But there's such a bigger mission with your level of Aquarius that you're carrying around resources and values and embodiment of this Aquarius energy that even though it is a more intimate house, the second house, you are really with that Sagittarius rising also destined to go so far (laughs) off and down that river. And I think having these differences in relationship to ease and resistance is part of having the relationship to change and what meaning you make out of it and also how you are intentionally choosing to engage with it. I found it really funny when you're talking about finding a version of meditation that works for you. Because one of the things that Bella and I have in common is that long before we've met, we've both participated in silent retreats. I went off and did a 10-day silent retreat and my Aquarius went into full rebellion halfway through the thing when they were asking me to relinquish myself. And I went, no, and I spent the rest of the time telling my toes how much I loved them and how fully and deeply I was going to inhabit having this body and this lifetime, no matter how temporary and how grateful I was for it. So that was obviously not the meditation for me. (laughs) I just just got so, so rebellious halfway through and like did the exact, exact opposite of detachment. And I think a huge part of that is that it feels so important to me to be embodied in this lifetime. And I recognized that I wanted embodiment more than I wanted enlightenment. And I think that's different for each person. I think that enlightenment being the goal of the change or being the current that you are being carried on in life is the perfect fit for some people. And for others, it is being in this body. It is being connected to this earth and all of its exquisite vulnerabilities and unending grief and heartbreak that it is to have physical form and for form to continuously be changing, shifting over time. So can you tell me a little bit, I'm really curious, because it does sound like a very Aquarian thing to say, like, I encourage everybody to find a form of meditation. Do you have a sense of why meditation feels like something, a component, an ingredient that you wouldn't want to live without? I think meditation comes back down to intention. I grew up in an intentional community, and so this word intention that I feel like is at the core of why I engage with meditation is to bring me closer into 
the why I'm doing things and how I'm doing things and these undergirding parts that influence everything that we do um, and how we do it is so key to me. And I think my encouragement of meditation to the world is an encouragement for wild self-discovery and embracing and understanding what it is that we each do to feel more connected to our purpose and feel more connected to ourselves. And I love what you were saying, Jubilee, about the space in which you rebelled to embodiment. And I truly have found those places, particularly in also being at meditation retreats and also spending time being very fascinated by faith traditions in which I radically choose embodiment too. It's so clear to me that it's a huge component of the blessing that we get in being incarnated in this way. And I have so much gratitude for the way that appreciating being embodied has created that positive feedback loop with gratitude and with all of these other things that has helped me live more intentionally and has helped me grow and build who I know myself to be and my relationship with myself, which from that internal work has helped grow my external world and the way that I can relate to other people and the way that I can be here. And so I think there's a lot of other values that are connected to that underlying intention. And that's that underlying intentionality of wanting to be so aware and so engaged and so cognizant of the ripple effect I'm having in this world is the deepest for me. I'm so connected to being with my sense of freedom and my sense of options and my sense of self through my choice. And my choice comes right back to my intention and my awareness that I have choice. And so in that way, I encourage people to find their way to home to themselves, however that can show up. Oh my goodness. I don't know if I can catch how many beautiful second house themes just came out in the values and the embodiment and the self-worth and your relationship to yourself that then I really love that you brought ripples into it because it feels like it's another part of the conversation of current because where current seems like it is it is celestial or it is on the scale of the earth and natural phenomena ripples are the ways that humans really our motions and even just our existence changes the flow and the current around us is our ripples and i don't know if you've ever just sat by a creek and noticed that every single rock does not create a perfectly circular ripple they all make a different ripple based off of the shape and size that they are. And so even if you stood perfectly still, you would still create unique ripples in the world. So when you are, again, a person who needs to move far and can see so much, then that ripple and the movement and motion in the way that you are allied to change, the way that you are a agent for change in a very intentional way because you are going to change the world around you by existing, by having matter, you matter. And then if you are additionally somebody who is in motion and actively engaged in the process of change, 
that's a whole other level of awareness of the ripple. And, you know, we don't often have control over the ripple once we've set it in motion and then ripples away from us and then interacts with other ripples. And over time, we have no idea how far that impact truly is going to be. What we do have influence over is the force and the way and the where and the how we are launching ourselves into or moving in the world. So that movement with intention, that slowing down enough to become aware of intent so that when you do move forth, that you are putting those ripples in with intention, even if you don't have control over their ultimate destination and outcome. But you're choosing change. You're choosing motion. You are choosing to travel far. And maybe for you, it's not a choice. Maybe it's just so inbuilt that like you, you would need to be in motion. But it does, from the outside, look like everywhere that you do have choice, you are paying very close attention. Hmm. We are co-current with the universe. And I love how Jubilee has brought in this idea of standing in the river and the ripples going out in all directions. Because the difference between current and the ripples that we create is the shape of that movement. And ripples can go so much further in all of these different directions, and we can't trace them fully. And I think that part of what is so motivating to me in this lifetime of expansion is bringing intentional ripples that can form justice and go against unintentional ripples. Like it isn't, it isn't all a gentle, passive thing. There's, there's a firm part of my Aquarius that is this strong advocate. And I think that there's a part of me that could so gently go live on a mountaintop with a river and some goats and be in that way for a lifetime. And yet there's so much call to me and purpose that I need to give what I can and I need to show up and find my way to help. And in the most humble kind of way, like my two hands, my former years of farming and all of these different things of just like doing what I can at each iteration. And I think that even as the degrees of impact that we have expand, it's with each degree and each section of ripple that we gain, we need 10 times more intention. There is so much more that goes in. And so I see it as this beautiful, monumental opportunity of attentiveness. And that's part of the reason that I'm okay with moving into the wider world as I expand, expanding slowly. Yeah. Well, and even just kind of wrapping back around to those original mythologies and that possibility of flood and what a flood could mean and how you relate to the flood, but also how you are the source of current too. And if you're not moving with care and the more mass you have, the more power you have, the more influence you have in the world, the greater chance you are to be a flood in somebody else's existence. And that can be to carry nourishment to crops and for the purpose of irrigation. And that can also be in a destructive tide of change. And 
yeah, this capacity to see the expansive and to be continually expanding and the growing level of impact that each of your emotions has in the world feels like such an interesting piece of the puzzle because we've talked about on the podcast so far that Sagittarius kind of gathers the theoretical, right? It gathers the philosophies, the beliefs, the underpinning worldview and ideas, and then Capricorn comes in and begins to lay structure and put into motion. And then Aquarius comes in and often innovates and brings necessary change, but is kind of always on that foreground of awareness that places of protection can become prisons over time, that systems that once really functioned can become harmful over time. And it makes me, if you're indulge me in going into some word etymology in this moment, two of the words that really intrigue me about Aquarius are innovation and revolution. And I was really delighted to find some connections. So you down for some words? Oh, yes. Okay. I'm so excited about the words. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> okay, so we have innovation up first. And the root of innovation is in plus novis, which is in the new. In new. And it over time connected into the Latin and its meaning was twofold. It was both to change, but it was also to renew. So there's something really interesting there that I don't think we talk about in innovation as frequently, which is what do we need to renew? What do we need to bring back? It really, and we'll see this as we go deeper into the words, it really isn't this linear progression from less good to better. It is this ongoing relationship to change and recognition of what needs to come back in to the collective understanding and the collective project or what new and totally novel thing needs to be invented. It's both. It's I love, I'm, I'm going to keep going a little bit. So the Latin also had the connotation of restoration and renewal. And then in the 1540s became more associated with novel change, experimental variation, new thing introduced in an established arrangement. So we have innovation, which has this connotation of both the new and the renewed and the relationship between those two things. And then what really delighted me as an astrologer looking into the root of revolution is that it is associated with the idea of turning or of rolling back. And then in the French is really associated with the revolution the turning of the celestial bodies, the course of the celestial bodies. And by the late 14th century, it was associated with the apparent rotation around the earth of the celestial bodies, in particular, a circular course. So I think culturally, at least in American culture, which is what I can speak to, we have this idea of this linear progression of this almost inevitable tide of progression, but we live in a valley and this is connected to your work and let me know how much of this you want to go into is we have learned in our valley that totally relying on this progression of technology and our ability to impact the environment at this mass level has led to systemic issues with fires. There is a way that a form of thinking that is purely progression 
lost connection to such a storehouse of wisdom that already knew how to be in relationship to this environment and this terrain. And so much of what I know about your work is how do we hold both the technology that we now have available and the wisdom that was already established and the intimacy with the earth that was already established here and how do we bring them together to hold both the needs of the environment and humans because your work lives in the interlap between that relational piece the way that our ripple effects impact the current but how the current impacts the course of human life as well. So I want to throw to you both the possibility of responding to the words, but also to responding to this place that you have a lot of intimacy with, of how you hold both the new and cherished and established wisdom, our collective innovations, the new and the renewed. Julie, this is such an incredible way of pulling together all of these threads. And I think one of the first things that I do is recognize the permeability between the way that like we are permeable to the natural environment that we live in and the natural environment is permeable and affected to the way that we tend to it and the way that we're interacting. And I think that part of the narrative of preserving the forest and not engaging with it has been so damaging because then it hasn't been tended and cared. And so when a fire comes through, it burns hotter and faster and it really has a different kind of impact. And so I'm really glad that you have brought up this connection of ancient wisdom and new innovation is I feel like that's the cusp of where I need to sit. And that's why I can't go run off and hang out on a mountain. Because I could be completely grateful and contented in what it would be to have that lifetime. Like I can find so much joy in the simplest things. And yet the challenge of getting people to understand their connectedness to the earth, both in like a very practical level, but also in an ancient, like why we value this soul spirit level is completely my calling. And it, it's what keeps me coming back to advocating right on that cutting edge of how do we harness all that is available to us both in the new iterations and cycles of that ancient wisdom and in the stuff that's never been available before. I mean, we have incredible new technology that is helping us see directly what the forest needs, like with drones and like the way that there is this innovation as an option allows us to look at that permeability between how we affect the natural environment and how the natural environment affects us with a lot more information as well. And I think one of the greatest things that I do in my environmental social science work and in my nonprofit work is I have this opportunity to take new information and recalibrate Every time there's new innovation that comes through or every time we have added context. And I think that that is part of what is so needed at this point in time with our planet is we are expanding beyond what the known records have been. We're expanding beyond what was like originally predicted with some of the rates that we're getting in terms of biodiversity and different pieces. And so when we're in this new space of what's happening and it's changing and it's happening fast, 
there is this call for having hope and holding steady with hope. And I think that one of the things I really appreciate is this idea of growing hope and innovating hope, actually, in that way of pulling from the ancient wisdom and all this history of all of these things that humanity has navigated over and over again and realizing we are right at that cusp of needing so much innovation to navigate what's happening right now on a social level, on an environmental level, and clearly at the cusp of both of them. Yes. Thank you for living at that cusp. Thank you for inviting us all to grow that hope and to dance like current, like water, like air, in this space between renewal and the new. The new and the renewed and our participation and our ripples and the intentionality with which we do that. And also this beautiful hopefulness and trust you carry with the universe of the possible that the current is supporting us in that project too. Is that we don't have to control the current. In fact, it's far more disastrous when humans try to keep flooding from not happening than when we acknowledge that floodplains exist for a reason. Everything needs space to expand in its own way. And often when we do try to contain flooding is when it's the most catastrophic because the pressure builds and builds and builds So there's a way of dancing with current, of like dancing with change, of inviting it, of holding the hope, of following it, of tending it, of being a good steward of it. Well, also, I think the thing I see in your impish delight of building those towers and letting them fall is that we need to allow it to shift and change and take new form and Aquarius is pouring out the water bearers in almost every description or every image I have ever seen of it sometimes it's just the vessel pouring out or maybe Capricorn's the clay right that vessel but then the water is poured out it is in motion it is not a stagnated energy or an energy that is held captive, it is an energy that is moving. And how do we move with the current and and with intention? And you are just such a beautiful embodiment of how to live on that cusp. And I'm so grateful to have gotten to have this conversation with you. As we are heading towards the end of our time, are there any pieces that you would like to elaborate on or express more fully? I feel grateful for this flow and part of what is the flow is there's also that that comes with the flow. And so there is that outpouring that we see through Aquarius, but I think part of what has been so important in my journey is really feeling empowered in that outpouring and really feeling like it's my choice and really finding something that gives me so much purpose and I I have so much passion for of creating that positive ripple effect on on daily small levels but also having this larger perspective in North Star that it feels like it's a choice of an outpouring not something that like is extracted from me, but something that I'm actively choosing. And there's so much current that flows through me because it's what I'm actively choosing and because it's in an alignment. And I think 
part of the subtlety of flow is we get support when we are entering into flow and flow and flow we get that guidance we get that universe's support and i love how in the last podcast you were talking about manifesting and you were talking about embodied manifesting and i think that so much of what i enjoy in discovering my flow is these serendipities and these cheeky winks from the universe of the current is with me and it is bringing me forth in that direction and I get to trust that direction. And so what also gives me so much hope is conversations like these with Jubilee and with other people that are finding their flow and they're attending to their ripple effect and they're moving into the world. And I think that through community, there is so much hope. There is so much that we can innovate. There is so much we can engage with within these cycles, but also outside of this perspective of linear time, outside of these constraints that are only really there because we as a collective society are telling them as that reiterating story with those cycles. And so it's incredible to take that introspective time and have that intentionality and ask, like, am I holding this belief because it aligns for me? Or am I holding this belief because it was handed to me? Thank you. Well, and speaking to that hope, I think coming from an astrological perspective, from astrology, is that all of your planets are also allied in that process because every year they are in revolution. We are in revolution every year and we are carried in that process, not only in the current that is this planet, but in the celestial sea that we are all moving through together and that it is built in those cycles, those turning. And if you are actively engaging with and paying attention to, I think that's the really beautiful way that astrology is both ancient and renewed is that we are getting to retell the mythology of what it means to be human every time we look at somebody's birth chart and see how they are a completely unique expression of the stars and the way that we dance with each other and that authenticity and uniqueness and how we come together in shared purpose and how we are held in this mm. like concentric circle of the stars and centuries of meaning making that came before us. Thanks for mm. putting this ripple into the world with me. Oh, thank you for putting this ripple into the world with me. I'm so happy about it. And I so love the grace and the grace space that is created by these concentric circles and by these iterations and these cycles because then if it doesn't happen in this cycle there is another one there is that hope of what we can choose and how we can lean into giving things all that we can and then holding that space to be met by the universe in that co-creation and I'm just so grateful for how all of the things and all of the timing and all of this lined up for this conversation today. Thank you so much, Jubilee. I'm so honored to to be here with you. Mm, I could not have picked a better Aquarius companion <laughs> <laughs> to renew and innovate this little container and expand it and make it bigger. 
So thank you so much. And if you would like to introduce any ripples into this container, feel free to send a message to minimythastrology at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at minimythastrology. And wherever you are in this moment in time, as we move through the celestial sea together and all of these currents and all of these tides, please know what a wondrous gift that you are to this world. And thank you for being here. We are a love affair of earth and sky, you and I. We share the planets, the stars, the tides. We learned her faces and phases from the places we grew. And together, weave meaning from these differing views to know her anew. Thank you for gathering round this fire with us to hold this ancient love renewed, a story made more complete because of you.